Hello, listeners, and welcome back. Top to... of the league. Top <laughs> of the league. No, you're not getting actually... the first word in, Harley. Top of the league. <laughs> I was actually going to come in on a really somber note about something tragic that happened yesterday, and you've just come straight <laughs> in with that. So I'll probably leave that for a second now and we'll talk about the football for a bit. Um, well, I, I, sorry, I just have to get it out there because like, I'm going to celebrate it while it's there. And I'm going to heavily asterisk that as well. It's top of the league with heavy asterisks. I know we may not be there for long. So let's on goal difference. Whew, I'll take only, it. I'll take only it. on goal difference and you're welcome because we Indeed. get that goal difference. Uh, as Ian and I were just saying just before this, a rather... Bar maybe one result, run-of-the-mill weekend of football we've just had in the Premier League. This is our 10th episode, by the way, listeners. We are now officially double digits. We have committed to this podcast relationship, and we will see it through to the bitter end. Like I said just a second ago, very, very run-of-the-mill, apart from... Okay, so maybe two results, but what we'll do is we'll we'll start from the top down in a second, but we will take a second now, a sombre moment to say rest in peace to Diego Maradona, who sadly passed away yesterday. I think most most of anyone who listens to this will probably know that already, and most of the world, in fact, know it because of how prolific he was of the foot, as a footballer. England fans will always have difficult memories of Maradona due to a certain hand of God. For sure. That, I mean, like, that's, that's how everyone's introduced to Maradona, right? Spe- well, from an English point of view, that's... And that's pretty much all we know about him. I think he gets that bad rep and then no one really looks at his footballing talent. And go watch Lineker talking about Maradona and you'll see what kind of talent he was. I mean, in that game, he scored that goal, which England fans will forever have nightmares about. And then he also scored one, which we probably also should have nightmares about, but because it was so good... No one really minds. That's the thing, right? When when someone you know plays fairly and scores scores an incredible goal, you know most of the time you got to put your hands up and go, "Wow, what a finish!" Sure, yeah. And you know, in in a way, he he loved playing the the pantomime villain of football. He never apologised for his antics. He was a rock and roller of a footballer, really. One of the last few ones that were in the game. I don't think the game allows for it anymore. I don't think you, you can have that sort of personality. I think people have tried, like Mario Balotelli, like 10 years ago, but you don't get met with the same, oh, he's edgy, he's cool. Look at look how you know reckless uh, James Dean Esky is. It's more, look how annoying he is <laughs> nowadays. Sure. I, I think, I think and, that, and that comes down to uh, our old friend Beckham. Like, I think he changed that. He was a rock and roller, and then he pushed that all into sort of uh, more altruistic motives and became that sort of charitable the pinnacle of professionalism exactly. and, and the icon of the sport effectively in terms of yeah. the media facing but he angle. was essentially our sort of last bad boy of the of football i think until the accepted the, the last accepted yeah, exactly. bad boy of football. like uh, you say balotelli has tried and somewhat failed yeah i disappeared into the abyss but or you know zlatan with uh yeah, well, I suppose, but I think Zlatan's just arrogance, not antics, is it? You know, like yeah, yeah. Maradona being sent home from World Cup due to supposed drug charges and that stuff like that. And I, I don't want to be too critical of Maradona because he just died. Uh, I'm just yeah. saying he is a character and the character oh, should be appreciated. When you have, I think if you're going to be a bad boy of football, if you're going to be a rock and roller of football, you have to have the talent and the antics and the attitude. And he definitely had both. He was unbelievably talented. A lot of people regard him as the greatest footballer to ever play the game. And I think Oasis said it best, right? It's better to burn out than fade away. And 
you know he never stopped he's had tv shows he's had controversial opinions he's been a mascot for the argentinian national team a mentor to the likes of Lionel messi you know he will forever be remembered in the conversation of the greatest of all time it's him pele uh, r9 ronaldo messi you know he, he will be there forever so rest in peace diego i don't hope argentina win the world cup but i'm sure you do <laughs> i hope we do so moving on from that somber point and yes i realize my energy levels are low listeners today because <laughs> i woke up i took my mum to work being the good son that i am so there you go mum there's your shout out and I came back with every intention of going to sleep, and um, I did not. I literally laid on the bed, put on Notting Hill to fall asleep to, because it was just the first film that popped up on Netflix, and ended up watching the entire movie, just laying there. And then I was like, oh, the PS5's winking at me seductively. So I got up, played some Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and here I am, very exhausted on only about three hours sleep. So there's oh, your. Well, as soon as we get to Man United, I'm sure we're out. <laughs> well, I don't really have that many good things to say about United's performance against West Brom, but no. yeah, I'm sure we'll get there. So the first game of the weekend was, of course, Chelsea versus Newcastle. Fairly run-of-the-mill result. Yeah. Chelsea look to have found some consistency, and I mean, Werner hasn't found consistency. I mean, I mean he, was... did you see him last night? He was awful last night was he really in the Champions League. It? Really, really bad. Um, I've actually put uh, uh, Timo and Tammy because obviously their connection is what sort of brought the tie down. Newcastle sort of edged back into it. But I think Chelsea are the prime example of a team that are finally gelling and also Mm. are one of the few toxic clubs that have no problem breaking down a low block in the Premier League. Their creative prowess has never been in question. I think we've said that for a long time on this podcast and I think that's a a pretty universally held opinion about Chelsea. Now, the worrying thing for the rest of the league and, and the, the real question mark we have to put about is, are they title contenders? And I said in my predictions, I thought Chelsea were going to come second because they look defensively solid. Thiago okay. Silva looks like his experience and uh, his elite playing level has galvanised that defence to the point where I, I don't see them conceding very much. I know they weren't very good last night in the Champions League against Sevilla, but everyone has a bad day. Better to do it when you've got three wins in the group rather than no wins in the group. So I don't think people can be overly critical. And they won anyway. Chelsea are an interesting beast. Indeed. I do think Timo Werner benefited from the amount of chances you get in the Bundesliga. Yeah. That would be my opinion on Timo Werner right now. I, I think he's a good talent. But again, Chelsea have this real innate ability of taking top, top strikers and just wasting all their talent and potential. For sure. I mean, he makes he makes great content for a highlight reel because it's chance after chance with him. And he's I know. But he doesn't, doesn't, I mean, listen, he's, I think someone said he scored eight in 13 appearances for Chelsea, which is not bad. That's not in the Premier League. That's collectively. I think but. it's when you look at it, the amount of chances he has and the amount of playability he has to create chances like yeah the goal the second goal comes from him anyway but it's just that fight that final third it's just finishing it up really and I think it was on show in um, the Newcastle game for sure yeah I think you know he's wasteful I would say he can be incredibly wasteful I think he's similar to Morata in that regard and Tammy Abraham we've criticized Tammy Abraham on this podcast before and said he needs about five shots to get one in 
you know, but he did score, so I can't be too cri- uh, critical of Tammy this week. Yeah. I think, you know, look at Shevchenko, look at Torres, look at, you know, the last real clinical striker they had was Diego Costa. Morata didn't work out. I just think they keep playing him all over the front line. They keep moving him. I think that probably doesn't help. I think you should yeah. pick him and say, listen, you're going to you're gonna play as just the, the, you know, the number nine or a, a partnership up top, whatever it may be. But I will say, even though he's wasteful, what he is very good at doing is creating space for other players. He's so good because he he breaks the uh, the line at the back so much with the way he pushes past them. And because they are worried about him and his ability, they follow him and they create more space for the other attackers. Uh, and he gets assists. Uh, Werner does get assists. He's a team player. So, you know, I, I can't f- fault Chelsea's uh, performance. They were very good. They should be beating Newcastle. And they did beat Newcastle. I don't think Newcastle looked okay. It wasn't like they were having a bad day. They came out and they came swinging. I mean, Longstaff shot at the end. I know. Just uninspired is what I think they are. uh, Well, what are you going to do after you get just knocked down? It's a bit like Brighton. They just keep getting knocked down. And I think they're just running out of steam to keep it going. Yeah, I mean, look, Newcastle, I think, might have had a little bit of disenfranchised mentality yeah. inside the club because you know they didn't get bought and a lot of them probably thought oh my god we're okay we're at the the eye of the storm of this wonderful uh football spending experience that's going to happen and then it fell through and it didn't happen i think newcastle uh, i i you could say maybe the one of the sleeping giants of of uh the premier league in the sense that with the right management the right players the right money and the right plan they could go somewhere you know it wasn't that long ago, maybe eight years, they finished fifth in the Premier League. It can be done. Pardew took him to fifth. Yeah. I just think, oh God, Papis Cisse and Denver Bar playing up top for them. They were a good side back then. They were back in the day. Yeah, just I think Steve Bruce is not the man. Very, I think he's doing an okay job. I, I don't want to be too critical of him because you know they've stayed up, and I, I think if I remember my stats correctly, that is the first time he's not relegated with a team. So, good job, Steve. Yeah, it's something you want to hold on to. The next game, I like. I like uh, Tariq's terror taints tie. There you oh, go. That, that that I was struggling. I won't lie. I was struggling with some of the puzzles. I don't know if I was feeling burnout or like shoehorning them in. But that one just came to me in a flash. <laughs> and by Tariq's terror, I'm going to say this up front right now. He should not be sent off. The terror is that Ooh. he got sent off. It, yeah. No, no, no. It's what, not what I don't understand is why advantage is played if it's a book, bookable offence with a sending off on top of that. that yeah, see, a- I didn't. I, I, I thought if it's a red, you have to stop play. That's right? what, if, definitely if it's a straight, it's stopping play. But even if it's that level of a bookable, a second bookable, you don't get a play on. Maybe it's a case that the referee forgot he had one. That does happen in football. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've seen three And then he looked at the card and went, oh, I've already booked him. Well, you got to go. Maybe, maybe that happened. I don't know. Uh, Brighton ruined the ruined the Aston Villa party. Have Aston Villa become West Ham? The games they should win, they lose, and the games they should lose, they win. But at last, a final bit of luck for Brighton. They've been pushing so hard. I know. I tell you what, Danny Welbeck's goal was a good goal. It was good. I mean, like the amount of chance he's had. We were. You know, ragging on him a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "No, no, no I'll show those boys how it's done." Yeah, well, I had to resist. We put Danny Well disappointing last week. I was, I was tempted to put something along the lines of Danny Well in this week or something. Yeah, exactly. Like that because, yeah, good goal, took it well. 
can't believe he's 29, looks about 34. He is hungry, looks hungry to be at the front of the line, had the same problem he had at United, which is he needs about eight chances to score one. But I tell you what, the one he scored was very nice. Brighton were determined to get the three points today. Yeah, they went all out. They went all out and did everything they could to get it. And well, I mean, you know, they the end of the day. They, the, Lewis Dunk doesn't look right since he's got his red card. Yeah. A little bit frail at the back. Obviously, they conceded off the set piece, but I tell you what, Solly March's goal was filth, wasn't it? <laughs> Jesus. And I think it's even better because the, the player that assisted it didn't it clearly didn't mean to pass and Solly March. No, not at all. He wasn't looking for him at all. And he just got him. He just went, I'm just finessing this top corner. Adios. See you later. Um, no saving that from Emmy Martinez. I tell you what, though, Villa didn't look bad. Again, I, I want to say Villa looked good. They looked hungry. They looked strong. They just didn't take their chances. Great if Grealish can't do it all, guys. That's what yeah, Villa need to realise. Grealish to can't to do everything. You know, he can't defend for you, attack for you, create for you, score for you. You know, I think they have no criticism to Ollie Watkins because I actually do rate Ollie Watkins. He doesn't seem to turn up against small clubs. Mm. He may just be a big game player. And if he is, that's absolutely fine because I would love, apart from United, to see Villa scoring against any top six club especially yeah. beating them. But, you know, I don't... I think it's about how Villa responds, right? If they go if they go next week and get three points, then it is what it oh, is. Yeah. It happens. Sometimes these bottom-of-the-table flashes are hard to call. Must have been particularly difficult for them to lose at home. Yeah. But they've got nothing to worry about in the Premier League. They're... They're solid. Flying. And it provided one of the most entertaining games of the weekend as well. Despite oh, it's tense. Definitely tense. Like, I was like, Ooh. Yeah, I, I felt for both Villa and Brighton fans. That, that would have been rough. So, do you think it was a penalty at the end? I think it was a penalty. And I think Brighton got very lucky. And that's I, the luck that they probably needed. Yeah. Yeah, they deserve some luck. I think, yeah, just, I, it just has to be one of those... The referee games. was just like, I can't. Brighton have been <laughs> screwed enough... I have to deny this penalty. Yeah. Yeah, look, obviously it's subjective, but I, I think he gets the man before he gets the ball. So, for me... I, I think we've got plenty of cases of that across the weekend. And I think oh, you don't have to tell me. I, I am absolutely shooketh by David Coots yeah, officiating, yeah. but I'm, I am here for it. So, yeah, good, good for Brighton. Glad to see them get three points. They desperately need it because, you know, we, we don't want to see them in a relegation battle there, relatively close to me, at least, and where Ian's sort of grown up. So... I want to see Soft them do well. But again, I didn't really care who won because I want to kind of see Villa do well as well because, yeah. you know, I, I want to see them go on this Leicester-esque sort of run because that would be... I would be, be happy I mean, if... if three, Spurs or Villa won, won the league, I'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> Effectively. <laughs> you know, like, I don't care because Spurs have never won the Premier League and Villa have never won the Premier League. That's fine. But if Liverpool... Yeah. That's when I start to get like, no. No, it's not happening. Okay, so, Ian. Talking about winning the league. Talking about winning the league, potentially, eh? Mourinho, the Mourinho factor. So, here is, I have put here, Ghosts of Champions League pass. Manchester City must hate Hyunmin Son. Every single time they play him, he absolutely doesn't. He doesn't. This is what I was like, I was watching it. I was just like, there's two men on that field that they need to pick up a man mark. Son and Kane. 
who sets up the goals and who's scoring the goals. Why are you not like this on the second goal? Kane is in acres of space in the middle of the field from our box straight to him and he takes it on. He out. did have quite a lot of space to run into, didn't right? he? Especially for Why someone with his pace. He's a playmaker and no one's on top of him. And I was like, well, that's that's how we're doing this. It was, yeah, it was very surprising. Man City. Uh, I look, it, it was play. classic Mourinho. Oh, it was yeah. soak up the pressure and break. He doesn't always do that now. He's evolved a little bit as a manager because I think he's evolved with the times. But yeah, Man City must hate Human Song. And they, and there must be like a psychological element to it as well. They must be scared of Human Song because he always seems to create spaces and you're like, How are you not man marking him? Now the the ball to him, was it from Indombele? Was outrageous. Like the city backline just fell asleep. And again, compounds their defensive woes this season they are not switched on the back and i tell you what and i heard this opinion this hot take the other day and i actually agree with it edison is not having a good season and no one is talking about it right i mean both of those goals both of their goals he got megxed on both of them yeah man i was gonna bring that up i was happy with that but how I don't like. I'm not going to like jump to his defense or anything, but I guess if your defense is lacking, and the issue is he's always off so far off his line. If uh, he does. He defense, does step off his line a lot. I will agree. And he's Absolutely. going even further now because I think he's trying to make up that space. Like he's worried of how far or like that's. But it's the like, defensive frailties. He's rushing out. Exactly. Right. He's rushing out. And the the reality is, if he steps, if he stays further back on that uh, Lacelso goal, he mm. might save it. Easy. Right. You've got because one, I think the angle would become too tight if the defence are tracking the man. But because uh, Edison comes off his line, the Celso thinks, fuck this, I'm shooting. And why not? Yeah. And it's a good goal. It's a great goal. And it yeah. looks like, you know, Mourinho having the biggest ego stroke of his life going, oh, I just brought the Celso on and he's just come on and scored the vital goal to turn the yeah, tie. And I was like, oh my God. I could yeah. see it in his face. He was just like, I'm the best fucking manager <laughs> in the world. And you know what? I got no bad blood about Mourinho. It didn't work out, and I understand why it didn't work out. United, it's not necessarily him. He took us to second place. And again, I've said to you before, if he can take that United side to second place, all he's got to do, but it is the biggest thing he's ever got to do at Spurs, if he can get your mentality right, you could win the Premier League. That is the reality. And it's starting to look... Not to like leap ahead, but it is looking more and more like next two games are so vital for you. You've got Chelsea this weekend and Arsenal next weekend. If you take six points, I mean, we know what's going to happen with Arsenal. Arsenal are having you have to beat Chelsea, you have to beat them. We have to beat Chelsea, but we're going to fluff it against Arsenal. You can just feel it in your body. Like, I don't know, Mourinho's got this swagger going. Do you know what? Again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Let us go back, 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 whatever it is. You know, the flashback, generic YouTube sound. The handball against Newcastle could be vital in this campaign. The bullshit handball that you should never have conceded. And everyone knows it. Even Steve Bruce knew it. And he admitted it after the game. That You'd be two points ahead in top of the league if that crap hadn't happened. This is the problem with VAR. And this is why people are starting to get annoyed with VAR. Because it will cost people championships, especially if you go into a two-horse race with Liverpool. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if it does, and you look back and you think, well, that's the moment that completely eliminated our possibility to win the league or whatever, that's the problem with misuse of VAR. 
And yeah. as we know this weekend, there was a bloody lot of it. There Especially was, uh... in the next game. But we'll briefly talk about Spurs a little more. I think the most important thing I took from watching that Spurs game, I knew you were going to beat City. You knew you were going to beat City as well. We said it on this podcast last week, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, wherever you may be, whoever you may be. We said, not only did we say Spurs would win, we said that Harry Kane would not score, but you would win comfortably. And lo and behold, that is what happened because City are awful this year. They're so bloody bad. Now, yes, that goal was disallowed. And tell you, I'll tell you what, from a centre-back, that is an outrageous finish. It's great. Yeah. I mean, but I will say it was bloody handball. I'm sick of oh, seeing easy. It was on Twitter. Oh, it's not handball. He touches his chest. No. Not only does it touch his arm, he makes the motion like he's trying to control it with the, his arm. Yeah, and it's the control. It's all I will say, though, I am proud of the Spurs players for not stopping. Hands go up, but they continue to play. Yeah, they were broken up, but so often you see that happen and everyone rushes to the ref or they're just thrown off. But Spurs kept going and then obviously just gets lashed in. There's no way you're getting involved in that. There's no stopping that, which is I fair mean, enough. Uh, it's, an, um, it's an unbelievable strike, but it's rightfully disallowed. And City, it, once that happened, it's a mentality thing for City. They haven't got an out-and-out striker. Gabriel Jesus is not good enough to lead the line on his own. That is the reality at City. And good. I'm fucking glad. Because guess what? We're above City in the bloody table. How has that happened? Thank you very much, Spurs. And you know what? In the last five years, there's not been many times that we've been above City in the table. So I'll take the small victories I can get at the moment. But I think Mourinho has injected some of that nastiness that he preached about in the All or Nothing documentary all the time. Yeah. The steel. You need that steel. And do you know what? You've got the defenders there to be a good defensive unit. Not an exceptional defensive unit. Not an unbreakable or impossible to break down defensive unit, but a solid defensive unit. And it's all about mentality, right? Your biggest liability at the back for me was always Serge Aurier. He did not look like a liability against City. He looked really fucking difficult for them to break down. And I tell you what, everyone was raising question marks, including me, about Regulon's defensive capabilities. Did you see that thing? He... Had a bet with uh, Mourinho, said to Regulon before the game, he said, if you can stop Riyad Mahrez from dribbling past you the whole game, I will buy you this very expensive ham um, joint thing. And it's a picture of him with it after the game because Mahrez could not get past Regulon. And I think Mourinho is very good at creating these sort of little personal relationships which motivate people on an individual basis. He sees probably that there is a lack of defensive discipline in Regulon's game so what he's done is he's given him an attainable jovial you know it's our relationship with friendship target but in actuality what i'm doing is i'm manipulating you to improve your defensive awareness it's, you know it's we're working. seeing the tactician there he is still yeah. in there but a lot of people think he's past it i'm not convinced i think he's still got it and i know i've been banging on like i'm not a fan of that kind of nasty nature but i don't think i ever gave credit to the players on the field because there's no, you know, it's an incentive to the likes of Kane and Son who aren't inherently nasty. They're not mm. that kind of player. But it's going to push them. But they're still their characters. They're still going to play the football they're going to play. There's still that discipline on the pitch. You know, Kane's going to talk to the ref when it's like, they're not getting heated about stuff. Yeah. They're pushing. They're going hard. It's, it is that nastiness. But the Spurs players are embodying it and taking it into what that team is and pushing it back out. It's just great football. 
I mean, the thing is, you don't have to be nasty to play well, right? There are some obviously nasty players in that unit, and Mourinho specifically brought in Hoiberg in the midfield to be a nasty bastard, which he is. But it's very effective because the difference is you need a combination of nasty players and players who love to play for either the badge or the sport. And yeah, Hyun Min Son and Harry Kane intrinsically probably aren't nasty people. They don't come across as that way. I've never seen that in them. But what I have seen is that they will play tooth and nail for the badge so when you've got that nastiness combined with that heart it it makes for a very solid compact unit and and that's what spurs look like at the moment now we could be sitting here next week and chelsea could have beat you four nil we don't know but you got you got to take your moments you got to enjoy the moment and let it be i would be more concerned about the chelsea game than the arsenal game i think i think arsenal are very very vulnerable at the moment yeah, and I think historically, in the last sort of decade, you've won more derbies than lost them, probably. So Chelsea, okay. it's not about Spurs. Chelsea, what it is about is Mourinho used to manage manage them, and sometimes there's this sort of residual jinxy thing where he'll lose to them because he used to manage them. Now, yes, obviously Chelsea will play well and they'll be rewarded for it, but what I mean is sometimes that's just the way football goes. Yeah. So we'll see. It was nevertheless love to watch Man City lose. So I enjoyed that very much as a neutral. And um, you know, Spurs go marching on. Hopefully, you know, win the league instead of Liverpool. I would. I'll literally. I'll put fucking my Harry Kane England shirt on if uh, if Spurs beat (laughs) Liverpool to the title. So speaking of dodgy VAR decisions earlier, it's time to move to penalty palaver, which uh, which was truly. The only meats and bones of the Manchester United West Brom game. But what I loved is we had the Fernandez phrase showcase in which you're like, right, everyone call him Fernandez. I'm going to sort it out. And he went, no, bitch, hold, um, hold my beer. Gives away a penalty, takes two penalties. What is this man doing? I know. He I know. The Listen, I, I, you don't have me on Twitter because <laughs> of your being a Luddite or being a contrarian, whatever it may be. And, a contrarian. But, but um, I don't know if you saw last night. In the Champions League, his goal. No, I didn't catch it. Oh my god, it's outrageous! <laughs> it's like uh, half volley from outside the box. Incredible. Yeah. And oh, that wasn't a penalty. And on Twitter, I was like, "Where's the Fernandez claims at now?" But you know, I'm always fighting on Twitter, with ready to fight with people about United. So, yeah, listen, he, he takes our penalties. That's it. He just takes our penalties, and. The officiating was dreadful in this game. That that that's the real meat and bones of it. It doesn't matter about Bruno scoring a pen or retaking a pen because of encroachment or whatever. The reality is United played very poorly. I don't know how we got the three points, but we did. And you know, the real MVP of that game is the officiated David Coote because one, Fernandez definitely gave a penalty away and it wasn't given. I don't know how it wasn't given. But sometimes you get a rub of the green, like we said earlier. Uh, and then we should have had another penalty, but it wasn't given. And then it what? And then, you know, eventually we did get a penalty. One matter for the handball. Again, I thought he was aiming for the hand personally. It does look a bit like it, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. Now I tell you what, I won't be too critical of United because I will say that Sam Johnson had an absolute worldie, and this mm. tends to happen with ex-United academy kids 
that then go on to have a semi-decent career. I remember Ben Foster over the years has caused us a lot yeah. of problems whenever we play Ben Foster because we used to play for him. He always turns up against us. Sam Johnson used to play for us. He made some unreal stops. Rashford should have scored. Martial should have scored. Yeah. The problem that United have is the team selection. And I am vindicated in that opinion by last night in the Champions League. Not only did he play Donny van der Beek from the start, but he played him with Bruno Fernandes, not as a replacement for Bruno Fernandes. And lo and behold, we had a front, we had an attacking line of Martial, Rashford, Donny van der Beek, Bruno Fernandes and Cavani. And Istanbul, yeah, it's Istanbul, so what? You know, they beat us last time. Can they beat us in front of us? They could not handle it. In the first 35 minutes, we were 3-0 up. That's a different game. That's Champions League. But that builds on a bigger point, which is essentially his team selection in the Premier League is too defensive-minded. And what it does is it negates the attack. And because of that, it's just it causes a mentality issue. And it causes a, a lack of... They're just they're low in morale. They're just low in morale at United. That's the problem. And, and Donny van der Beek sitting frustrated on the bench, comes on, as an absolute worldie, everyone's like, he's the real MVP of that game because he kept he kept the tra- he kept the engine going, he was passing short, essential passes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we need. And he can be a box-to-box midfielder. Now, United have got Southampton this weekend. Tough game because yep. Southampton are on good form. Problem is, what w- you could see yesterday was when we played that many attackers, you lack defensively. And when you're playing against the likes of Danny Ings, who's in incredible form, and Shea Adams, who's on good form, can you afford to be that attacking? And I get it, it's a, uh, a balancing act. And a lot of United fans are calling Ollie the Tinker Man now. And some people are like, oh, that's good because he's assessing each team individually and catering. Right. And, but other fans are like, he's tinkering too much. He's, he's not allowing for team cohesion. He's changing the. It's, look, it's, it's not easy being a uh, Manchester United manager. I'm sure there's a lot of scrutiny. However, Juan Mata, regardless of winning the penalty, is way past it. Should not be playing. End of discussion. If you need to play someone, we played Rashford on the right last night, and he looked awesome on the right. So play him on the right instead, and play Martial on the left. I was going to put, instead of penalty palava here, MIA Martial, because he is missing in action. Yeah, he's, he's not about anymore. I tweeted out, I think I got into a little bit of a squabble with someone on like a Manchester Evening News thing. Because people say this thing, they say, I want to see the same energy for Rashford's bad performances as Martial's bad performances. I'm like, well, no. And I'll tell you why not. Not because I have an agenda, not because I don't rate Martial. In that draw down there, I have a blue Martial shirt because I rate him that much and he was that good last season. The problem with Martial is this season, he's not had one good game in the shirt. Right, yeah. and we've played like thirteen games. At least Rashford's had like five good games. Scored a Champions League hat trick. Scored a vital goal against PSG. Covered for Martial when he wasn't here against Newcastle, and got two goals and an assist. He's had some good games this season in the shirt. Martial has not had one, and he's had a stupid red card against Spurs. So I don't want to hear this bloody excuse that's floating around like oh, he hasn't had game time. He's not sharp. Well, yeah, he chose to head Butler Miller. And then he got bloody sent off for it. So I'm sorry, it's not a bloody excuse. You have to have accountability in football. Cavani is, uh, is pushing the question of why should Martial play striker? That is what Cavani is doing. Not because he's getting goals, not because he's incredibly better than him, but because he's a natural striker. And the question has to be asked is, is Martial a number nine? And I thought last season, maybe. He got 16 goals in the Premier League. He was firing all cylinders, but 
his hold-up play is not good enough. He's lazy sometimes. He's not always lazy, but when he drops that shoulder and goes, oh my God, he's a fucking nightmare. But I tell you what, we put him back on the left last night for the first time in a very long time. And he looked a different player. He looked up for it. Yeah, he didn't get his goal, but he got he was everywhere. He was difficult for tense, one touch passing. It looked natural. Martial's got to go to the left wing for me. I think United's starting lineup has got to be Cavani, Martial on the left, Rashford on the right, Bruno, Donny van der Beek, and a CDM. And that CDM has to be like, Ollie, I am ready to cover all defensive duties and allow Donny van der Beek to push forward. And I will cover. I think that's United's real weakness. They don't have a CDM and a centre-back. These are the three positions United must buy to create a solid team. CDM, left-sided centre-back, and a right-winger. They get those three players, we've got a solid team. But until that time, we're going to keep having these ropey performances. It was an awful performance against West Brom. We were very, very lucky. But we've had three wins in three. We spoke about consistency before, Ian. And it looks like we are slowly starting to get there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing at the end of the day. is If you're finishing off your games, you're finishing off your games. And you just got to keep doing that. Um, I'm assuming you're still of the opinion of Ollie out. I am. I know I'm wearing the United shirt today, but I, I'm not convinced by Ollie's tactics. If he takes what he's... He, I think he played Donny van der Beek and Bruno together to show how it wouldn't work against Istanbul. Right? And I think he, he proves himself wrong. And I think yeah. he admitted that in his post-match interview as well. He said that Donny can play multiple areas. Okay, <laughs> Ollie, well, let's do it, we fucking know. We've been saying it for bloody weeks. Play him as a number eight or as number six, doesn't matter where. Allow him to start every week and you will see tremendous results because of it. It's as simple as that for me. Yeah, we might concede more, but we'll score more. And sometimes you have to go for that mentality of, right, well, if, it, if, if we want to have, if we want to be a football club, Liverpool have a philosophy. Man City have a philosophy. They play in a certain way, and that doesn't change depending on their opponent. Yeah. We don't have one. And because of that, we flip-flop about our opponents. Oh, this works against Istanbul, so let's try it against Liverpool. No, that's bloody football suicide. You have to have an idea and a consistent one. And yes, occasionally you can change for very difficult opponents or to surprise certain opponents who think, oh, well, we can counteract United in this way. Yeah. Fine. But we shouldn't be playing that defensively against West Brom. It's West Brom. Yeah. Yeah, you only beat them 1-0, but you were on top most of that game. We yeah. weren't. We weren't. No, you got, you got a stroke of luck. And I, I think you're right. You've got to find that philosophy. And maybe it is just outscoring your opponents. And I mean, someone who's proving that that somewhat works is Everton. Well, you know, prove it this it. week. <laughs> yeah, this week they proved it. Like, they're like, through the defense, we just keep going forwards. I did watch this one, and I'm going to say now to any Everton fan that ever stumbles across this podcast or listens, you were very lucky to beat Fulham. Very lucky. Very that's, lucky. Well, that's, all that's all they're hoping on, isn't it? It's just keep pushing forwards, keep putting the ball in the back of the net, and hope we just stay ahead. Don't worry about the defence, it seems. Listen, they had a great opening half, Everton, mm. and Dinier showed why people rate him as a, uh, as a left-back. He's a creator. He's a great attacking fullback and an okay defensive fullback. It's fine. Calvert-Lewin, who again, listeners, if you don't have not realised by looking at the titles today, is the man who has won the Brace Showcase this week, shows that Callum Wilson-esque quality of you don't necessarily have to score the prettiest goals, you just have to score goals. 
and he's been doing that this season. He's a very good target man and a, a number nine, and his aerial ability is incredible. But defensive frailties will cost this Everton side. With the monsters that they've got in their midfield, Allen, who's a fox in the box, Decore, who's a Premier League proven nightmare defensively and scored for them, they shouldn't be giving up as much possession to Fulham who they did. Now, Fulham seem to be entering this survival mode. You know what happens when... Yeah, they're just doing everything. And then your heart believes. Just, I can't watch him take a penalty anymore. Oh, my just, God. What did he do? That, oh, it just... Your heart sinks. And you're just ah. like, guys, again, this would have changed the whole game. I know. Well, the thing is, they did score pretty soon after that. So... Maybe yeah, it wouldn't change too much, but... Still. Isn't it... <sighs> Are we at the Carvalho. point where... Just... And also, oh, yeah. don't take it like that. Don't allow yourself such a small space to put the ball. You, know, you can only go one way when you position yourself like that. Just, ah. Uh, and it's like, it's literally, the odds are, 50% you score, 50% you slip. Well, guess what? What's <laughs> a guide. Jesus. Two penalties. Oh. I think the punditry team uh, said it best on BBC. They said, I feel sorry for whoever, whoever has to take Fulham's next penalty, <laughs> which is true because it's going to be a lot of pressure. Insane. And also, this was really bad <laughs> on BBC. No, it wasn't on BBC. It was later on BT when I was watching um, right. another game. They were like, oh, in the Fulham game, uh, Lookman missed the second penalty for Fulham. And it was like this moment of silence and Glenn Hoddle went, no, but he didn't take it, did he, mate? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, are you suggesting there's some racist undertones there? Do you know what I mean? Like, the sort of the way he positioned yeah. it, I was like, hang on, what does that mean? Why have you been so, you know, oh, oh come on, come on, don't say that on air. Yeah, fucking terrible. Um, it's awful. Listen, Fulham played some really nice football. They did, they looked solid at times. But... Both their goals were nice goals, and and all of Everton's, bar the Corres, were scrappy goals. Don't get me wrong, nice assist, but sure. saveable, whatever. Yeah. Pickford again showed to me nothing. No, he's a worry constantly. Just don't start for England at the moment. He's clearly in a world of mental pain at the moment. I think it's just really affecting him. I would not be surprised to see Everton in January going out and finding at least a rotation or a second-choice goalkeeper or making Pitford their second-choice goalkeeper. I don't really know how they can do that when they paid £30 million for him. But, you know, crazy yeah, things have happened in football. Indeed. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And you just got to, well, you hope you can just put the money aside. But obviously, that's not what I'll tell you what, bridging off United briefly, Dean Henderson can't get in the United team and should really have gone out on loan this season. Loan him to Everton. Yeah. Do it. What do, you know, Premier League experience, they're not going to win the league. We all got a little bit too hyped on that. Ancelotti needs defenders. That is the. Yeah. The purest thought I have about Everton whenever I think about them. Defensively frail. Michael Keane, not good enough. Yerry Mina, not good enough. Pickford, not good enough. That triangle is what I consider a championship triangle, right? Sure. United had Van der Sar, Ferdinand and Vidic. That's a championship winning um, triangle. You've also got Alisson, Van Dyke, and whoever Van Dyke likes. <laughs> That's a championship yeah. winning. That's how good Van Dyke is. For sure. So, you know, as they say in American football, I believe they say it as well, Ian, you should know. Defences win championships. 
I would like to see Everton strengthen in that area. Yeah. But other than that, it was a tense game and I enjoyed it. And I, I was kind of gone. I was like, go on, Fulham, go on. Get, oh, get yeah, wanted, wanted to go see on. it. It just wasn't going to happen. Oh, you just feel for them. Just the they way are definitely getting relegated. But they, like I said, I think they're enter, entering that survival mode of Wigan-esque of about eight years yeah, ago. Yeah, you just got to throw everything out must it. stay up at all costs yeah. and they just start absolutely hounding teams. And believe it or not, no matter how well drilled you are or how good you think you are, if a team presses you for 90 minutes, it's bloody difficult. It's difficult to play the way you want to play. Always plays through. They're coming there to win, and all of them are clearly bringing their kitchen sinks at this point. Yeah, that's how it's going to be. But look, Everton needed the three points. We've spoken about that before. They They desperately needed them, and Fulham also desperately needed them. But it is what it is. I think I saw a meme which was like, because Derby have the record for the lowest uh, points total in in Premier League history. I think it's like twelve points or ten points, and um, it was something like, when Derby see that Fulham only have. Um, three like uh, one point out of their first ten games, and all all the Derby fans are like yes, <laughs> you don't want that record, do you? You do well, not want but, that record. Uh, but Sheffield United are vying for it. They have one point. I feel really bad for Sheffield because I don't. So... I don't think they play badly. No, I think they played okay. They're out there battling, but you can't say anything against Hallier's goal. I know. I put Hallamark goal, Hallaire, <laughs> because what? Well, one, he never really scores, and two, if you're going to score in a mentality of few and far between, do that because that was a play. That was a rocket. Yeah. Good goal. West Ham should win this game. I thought they were going to win it more comfortably than they did. I think West Ham are grinding out the results. I think yeah. I. I, I I think I said Palace to go down, not West Ham. But West Ham are not going down this season. They've got this grit about them, this determination. Moy seems to have finally found the right... I, don't, well, I wouldn't say like the right, like the best team mentality chemistry. But he knows how to get a result. And he knows how to be difficult to break down. And United play West Ham in two weeks. And I'm a little bit nervous about it. Not because... I think they're going to win, but because I think, can we score against them? Because I mean, defensively, they, they are very solid. The speaking from experience, be worried about them. Yeah. They're good, man. Well, the thing is, they don't look anywhere near the team they could be without Antonio. And that's a credit to Antonio. He didn't play in this game. He offers so much for them going forward. He's such a threat. He's so versatile because he can play anywhere across the attacking line because he's so physical and quick. And audacious, I guess, in the sense of when he decides to shoot. I mean, we saw his bicycle kick a couple of weeks ago. He's a, he's their X factor right now. Yeah. And without him, you know, it's good that they still got the result. To be honest, without him, but they don't look as fluid in the final third. They've got four nails, but I think four nails is quite wasteful, in a sense of he will score goals, but he needs so many attempts to score. But. Middle of the park, Declan Rice, he's, he's off in the summer, I reckon. He's yeah, yeah, good, Unit, CDM. I'd have him at United, but I, I, I would put money on him going to Chelsea. Chelsea wanted him last year, but they might not need him. It depends how well Chelsea do, what's going to happen with Jorginho. But, you know, Sheffield United, the, the dazzling heights yeah. of top 10 finish, and now 
you're going down. I think. I I think I'm gonna. I'm saying now, and obviously this will change as we get to week game week twenty thirty. Going down, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield United, in my opinion, right now. Just, just please, just put some more points on the board, Sheffield, or something. I would like to see Sheffield United stay up. So, yeah, so, you know, there are plenty of teams, and yes, this is agenda. Here's a bloody agenda. There are plenty of teams I would like to see go out of this bloody league. Burnley can get the fuck out. They're boring as hell. I tell you who else can go. I don't like Palace very much. They can piss off. And West Ham. <laughs> Their fans have turned me against them. So sorry, West Ham listeners. Yeah, it's not I mean, you. It's your bloody fans. They're intolerable. Bad. And because of that, I would like to see the back of you, to be honest. But I digress. Yeah. So three points for West Ham. And, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong and United be in a relegation now. And I'll have to, uh, you know, eat my hat. So next one, the only genuinely good uh, talking point of the weekend by me, Salt and Pepe. Very, very Ooh. enjoyable. Nice. Arsenal struggling. Well, it's, it's, How have I they mean, gone from beating us at Old Trafford to losing to Villa and drawing with Leeds? And by the way, Leeds should have won. I'm just saying that. They went for it every second. Our boy Bamford just couldn't do it. Patrick's post is what I nearly put as the, <laughs> the talking point. I was just like, for God's sake, deliver it, mate. Hit the post yeah. twice. Who else hit it? Rafinha hit the post. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, for God's sake, Lee's just capitalise on this. Um, boring game. Really, boring. really boring game. For me, Arsenal look lacklustre. Yeah. They look a little bit disenfranchised. I, there was talk, There's always this talk at the start of the season, right, Ian, about which manager's going to go first. Mm. Right, and there'll be like a hot list of in danger, in danger, in danger, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. is one of those, and Lampard will be one of those because of the money he spent, not because of uh, his ability. Arteta probably wasn't on that list because of his FA Cup win, but now, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, the the Pepe incident sort of encapsulates it. It's just absolute frustration. It's just no discipline on the field. It's having petty one-to-one battles. This is the problem with price tags in football ruining footballers, right? Pepe, I think he came from... Did he come from Lille? I think he came from Lille. He came from France somewhere. It might be Montpellier, I can't remember. £75 million price tag has ruined him. He's never lived up to that potential. He's barely scored for Arsenal in that time. Yeah, he scores against a big team, so he, he actually scored against United last season. He scores in the Europa League. The price tag was offensive. He had an unbelievable season in France, but again, I don't want to be too critical of the French League. There's a reason <laughs> players score a lot of goals in the French League. I used, to, I used to have this saying when I did recruitment, which would be, there'd be like different sections of the sales team and some areas would be harder to sell than others. And it would always be, it's easier to score goals in the championship for sure. For sure. Game, yeah. right? And that's just the, the, the God's honest truth. This is the Premier League, the most competitive league in the world. He keeps dropping into the team, out of the team. He's obviously got a temperament issue, or he's so frustrated by the way that it's gone with his time at Arsenal that he's he's created a temperament issue. Silly. Silly, stupid frustration. You could have literally cost Arsenal a point. The thing he's done now is put a spotlight on himself. You know, He's not going to play in the Tottenham game most likely. But if I was Mourinho, I'd go, Holberg, get on him. Just piss him off. Because he'll he'll lash out. And that's the sending off and you're done. You're like, okay, move on with... And that's going to happen game after game. Because from what it looked like in the Leeds incident, it didn't take a lot. 
And if you're going to get players who have a nastiness to them, they're just going to rile him up, and he's made himself a target now. United should look at that and go, that's where he went wrong against Arsenal. If you press Arsenal, they don't fucking like it. It's as simple as that. And Villa did it, and Leeds did it. And yeah, okay, Leeds didn't get the result. I think Rodrigo hit the bar as well. You know, it was absolutely incredible the amount of times the bar got struck. But, you know, Leeds should be happy with that result. In fact, I maybe they should be unhappy because I think they should have won the game. I mean, Leeds and Brighton are hand in hand right now. They just have the worst luck in the yeah. league. <laughs> Terrible they, luck. Yeah. But do you know what? A point against Arsenal, they'd have snapped your hands off for it. Oh, exactly, yeah. So, you know, it's all relative in sport. We come from a perspective of supporting top six clubs and we expect wins. Mm. You know, lower down the table, that isn't always the case. But Arsenal should definitely be beating Leeds, in their opinion, and should be expecting it. And, you know, you think United are bad for Mourinho out, Van Gaal out, Moyes out, Oliver out. No, 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 no. We're not the OGs of that. The motherfuckers that started that is Arsenal fans. Wenger out, Wenger out, Wenger out, Wenger out. Could you imagine the disservice you do to a manager by going Wenger out when he's won, not only taking you to an invincible season, but taking you to three Premier League titles, five FA Cups. Now, yes, never won a European trophy. So what? You've won plenty under him. He stayed with you. He's generated and nurtured some of the best players you've seen. He's evolutionised football. Mm. Uh, core level with fullbacks, with continental players, and then you go Wenger out. If 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 I ever, if I'd ever in the past, I know this for a fact. If anyone's ever said Sir Alex out to me, I've been like, I will fucking kill you. Seriously, what do you mean, Sir Alex out? The yeah, year, dude. You know, like football's become so fickle. The year that we lost on the last day of the season to Man City. Right, yeah. that horrific Agüero moment that makes me wake up in a cold sweat. If if someone had turned around to me and said, "Alex, Sir Alex, out," I've been like, "Are you, are you crazy?" Because not oh, I just use my magic eight ball. The next year he comes back and he beats them and then goes bye bye and beats them comfortably with an average side. Managers like Wenger and Alex are gone from the game. It will will never have that loyalty, that dynasty that both of them created. And I think that's why a lot of people today still consider United and Arsenal such a big rivalry, even though we're both playing badly, because we were icons of the noughties of the Premier League. Arsenal are get very close to becoming a banter club. I will not lie about the situation. Now, you could say, oh, homie, they beat you. Well, yeah, we're very close to becoming a banter club too. But Arsenal were doing it a long time before us. Yeah. In the Europa League, they must win it. Now, Ian, I know what you're going to say. But I'm talking, I'm talking purely from their perspective. They sure. must win it. Right? Sure, sure. They lost in the final to Chelsea a couple of years ago under Emery. And do you know what the best thing about that is? Emery is a Europa League specialist. He's won it like five times. So how the fuck did he lose it? I could banter Arsenal all day. <laughs> They were poor. I have the only question marks I have against Arsenal is where the fuck is Aubameyang? Yeah. What has happened to Pierre Emerick Aubameyang? Money kills players. I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer, and that's why homegrown talent is so potent in the Premier League and vital in the Premier League. Because I know for a fact Aubameyang is an AC Milan fan. 
He's got his big paychecks. Now he's like, I don't need to play for a big paycheck anymore. Yeah, yeah, I'm at yeah. the tail end of my career. He's demotivated. But if he was an Arsenal fan, he'd play for the badge. This is the problem. For sure. Mentality. I'm no body language expert. All of them have negative body language, in my opinion. All of them look frustrated. In particular, Lacazette and Pepe. Yeah. They're your attackers. I mean, yeah, it was in caption. Well, I think there was one break from Bellerin, and he just had nothing. Everyone was just striding alongside him, not splitting out, not giving options, and all he had was the middle. I think he managed to play it off, and they had at least some sort of attack. But there was no nothing behind it. It was just like, oh shit, we got the ball, let's go forwards. And everyone was like, okay, let's let's go forward. All I, oh, look, I, I completely agree. I think they're lackadaisical. I think they're lethargic. I think they're demotivated, demoralised, and they should be. They beat us. They went three points ahead of us or five points ahead of us. And two games later, that advantage that they created over us, we're now in front of them. Indeed. What no. the hell? What, like, that is, that is bottle job mentality. And, you know, Arsenal fans will give you Spurs fans a lot of stick for being bottle jobs, but it takes one to know one. That's what I'm saying. Indeed. But, I mean, talking of bottle jobs, you said it was coming on Leicester. I said it. I knew it. I told you. You can you can Mourinho factor this. You can say whatever you want, right? Rogers used to um, manage Liverpool. Sometimes that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it is, you know. Now I put Firmino finally finishes because the post also made a lot of prolific appearances in this match. Oh, when Firmino went through on that third goal and hit the post, I was like, no way, no, you can't from there. And then it bounced back out, and then it hit the post again, and everyone was like, what? That's what I mean about players giving up. Why are you giving up, Firmino? Maybe it's crossed the line. You don't know. Get back on that ball. You're in a goal-scoring opportunity. The keeper's behind you. What are you doing? <laughs> I think he's had something like a, a, the drought is horrendous at Anfield, which is now finally yeah. over in the Premier League because he did score. Look, Liverpool showed why they're champions. I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. But they did. Leicester looked vulnerable, uninspired, maybe dwarfed by the occasion. Vardy looked ineffective. Mo Salah wasn't even there. And Liverpool. And this is what I was saying about having a footballing philosophy, because the philosophy fits players into it. Players don't define the philosophy. So what happens is Liverpool still play the way that Liverpool would want to play, and it's still effective because that's the way Liverpool play that's why it's so important for any club to have that mentality and have that philosophy now if there is one man ian that is going to win liverpool the premier league it is diego yotta he's going to say the same thing that man does not give up what the hell at wolves uh, listen at wolves we all thought yeah he's pretty good yeah he was never the one from that Wolves side that i thought was incredible i won't lie to you oh. i always thought jimenez and traore were better than him and I guess Yotta was just a cog in the machine, but a cog, an effective cog, but still a cog, not a, you know, not a placeholder or a, a, yeah. an ornament piece, whatever the analogy needs. But Yotta is probably the best buy of the transfer window, hands down. Easy, easy. I think I saw some absurd stat like he's the first Liverpool player to score in his first four home games in like forty years or something like that. And considering when you're in there with the likes of Mane, Salah, that's mental. I, I totally agree. And I think 
you know, it is pure determination and passion, and it's perfectly exemplified by Firmino giving up when he brought the ball across the line, and Yotta just, oh, you're going to deny me a goal, I'll go again. Oh, it's come off the post, I'm going to cross it back in, I'm going to strike it. He just keeps going, he doesn't stop, he doesn't care what's happening, he plays that whistle, where he plays whatever's happening, he's like, I'm just going to get it in, it has to go and in the back. Also, he's probably causing a selection nightmare for Klopp, right, because oh, effectively, amazing. every chance he's being given, he's taking. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him play badly for Liverpool. Yeah, you're not, you're not playing badly if you score an offside goal. He scores with his head, he scores with his left, he scores with his right. His attack positioning is fantastic. He can dribble, he's agile, he's fast. He can turn on the ball and he can hold it up. He's a nightmare. He has been a nightmare in the Champions League and in the Premier League. And he isn't, don't get me wrong, he's not scoring like three goals a game, but all the goals he score, scores are either vital, pressure goals, or important goals. It's it's just it's he's the perfect utility sub. He's like Chich what Chicharito used to be at United, or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used to be at United. They come on, you go right. Yotta needs to go on and win the game, and bang, he comes on and he wins the game. Because you don't know how to handle him. Because you put four defenders in front of him, clustering together. He's like, yeah, I'll just run at him. That's fine. I'll just run straight through that middle. And he'll appear with the ball. And that's what he's willing to do. And that is scary. That is a scary player to come up against. And the fact that he's not quitting after that either doesn't matter what you throw at him. Mm. And yeah, I, he's gonna. if they're going to win, it's because of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think Liverpool have always had the mentality of if we have to, we will outscore our opponents. But another point that I have to say about Liverpool when it pains me to say it is they put a you know a big statement down and they said by the way yeah we haven't got Van Dijk or Joe Gomez but guess what here's a clean sheet impressive you know again is Van Dijk's absence going to be that big of a problem that we thought it might be I don't know I'm not convinced I think, no I think they had their hiccup and now they're like okay well that happened and now let's just push well forward. you say that but I, they did you look it's still early days yeah, Let's see. I think all it would take to derail Liverpool's season is one loss at Anfield in the Premier League and there would be question marks in the team and there would be a little bit of uncertainty and I think that has a snowball effect. Last yeah. night, they lost to At Atlanta at home. Yes, Klopp played a week inside, but he subbed on... Well, he did start Salah and he started Jota and he, he subbed on players. He did not want to lose that game last night because it means that they're not auto-qualified now. If Atalanta can beat them, they are beatable. That's what oh, teams yeah. have to remember. And that's no criticism to Atalanta, but Atalanta would not even get in the top five of our Premier League, in my opinion. They've got a quality team and they're very good attacking, but defensively they're vulnerable. Liverpool did not even register a shot on target against them last night, Ian. Yeah, it was... Uh... Sometimes, I feel in the Premier League, when a snowball of a team is coming in, whoever it may be, they're on a streak... A lot of clubs just accept the fact they're going to lose. And I think Leicester really accepted that fact. I don't think Schmeichel had his best game in a Leicester shirt. I, maybe that's too harsh. I don't know. I don't even think there's much he could have done. Maybe defensively he was let down. But he yeah. can't save them all. He did make one outrageous save. And I was like, oh, wow, that was a good save. Yeah, Leicester just rolled over. In my opinion, Leicester just rolled over and just said... Take us Liverpool, and Liverpool took them hard. What what can we do? Three 0 It was it was. They definitely put a statement down. They threw the gauntlet down. And said, listen, this is a title race. It is a yeah. title race, and we are firmly in it. And Spurs went well, good. See you at the fucking finish line. Homeward bound. Indeed, onto Monday night games. Here's a here's a stat for you. You know I don't like Burnley. 
Oh, that's, Burnley's, that's Burnley's first win this season. It's mad. Which is not good for Burnley. Not only that, it's their first home goal this season. That's bad. And this is what I was saying about Burnley and why, why I dislike them. Why, why I'm apathetic about them or indifferent about them is they're not a good attacking side. They score occasionally lucky goals. They've yeah. got... Uh, don't get me wrong, I think Chris Wood's actually an alright player. The problem I have with Burnley is they play for set pieces, they play low block, and they, they're happy to take a point. Yeah, That could be the death of them this season. They, I'm surprised they beat Palace, I won't lie to you. I am very surprised. But I did predict it in the... Sorry, oh, just but, pre- just pre- but that wasn't about Burnley, that was about how inconsistent Palace are as a side. Yeah, they're all over the place as well. Palace looked frustrated and mm. just muzzled. I think Burnley muzzled them quite well. Yeah. I think the game was quite open. And I think Burnley could have easily lost that game. I think it was... Didn't, didn't Palace's goalkeeper make an outrageous save? Yes, he did. A point-blank yeah. rage save from a header. Oh, my Lord. Do you know what? Don't, don't skimp out on uh, Gaeta or Gaeta. He is a good goalkeeper. Solid. He's solid. He makes some ref- uh, reflex saves that I'm like, oh, hello, what the fuck? And what is it about the Spanish heritage that makes you think, we only produce incredible goalkeepers? It's him, De Gea, Casillas. Oh, you know. It's his lineage, isn't it? They, they do. Ridiculous. Save but time constantly. I don't have much to say about the Burnley game, I won't lie to you. I don't either. Goal, was... Yeah. Running the mill, apart from the result. Chris Wood's finish was good, but again, it came off a lucky deflection off the Palace player. Mm. And that was very much it. That's just the way it is. Monday night games rarely inspire me, and it didn't. Indeed, but to the next one, that is years in the making. Yeah, but it didn't inspire me, this game. It didn't inspire at all, but... Wolves-Southampton, we're expecting a a mini El Clasico from the way that we harp on about Wolves, uh, your silky football and Southampton's silky football. Look, I think because of the way the teams are set up and the form they have and the difficulties that they cause other teams in the league, it was always going to be a draw, in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's nice for Southampton to be, uh, be able to go, Theo Walcott scored his first Premier League goal for Southampton in 15 years. That's great. That's it's really, great. really good. Highlights how young Theo started playing at a professional level and at a high level. And do you know what? I was thinking about Theo Walcott's career and I was like, it would be interesting to do a brace showcase on him because there was a point to Arsenal where he was actually doing bits and oh, then it just all kind of fell apart and I don't yeah. really understand why. But revitalised by his return to his, his boyhood club, uh, you know, good finish. Um, same goes for... Wolf's goal, though Wolf's is obviously was a lucky deflection back off the, the post again. Surprise, surprise. A lot of post action this weekend. I know. The postal service is going absolutely crazy. Just a well round out point. That's all I can really yeah. say about it. There wasn't too much to say on that game, if I'm honest. Both teams will probably rue the chance to get three points because I think either of them could have taken it. Mm. McCarthy made an incredible save to deny Wolf's as well earlier in the game. Yeah, true. Just, you know, run of the mill. We and we predicted a draw. We expected a draw. So that's all the Premier League football this week, folks. There you go. 
Sorry about the last two, but they were rather uninspiring. And yeah, they were just. I think it's just kind of old school football. I mean, it's not what we're used to in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty has been mad. I know. Listen, now, listen. If a game doesn't have at least three goals, I don't want to play. Unless I get banned to Arsenal, and then I'll bloody talk about it. All right. So, Champions League, we've sort of indirectly touched on. Sure. Either way, just any headlines we might have missed out, listeners. If you didn't know, Inter Milan are out mathematically. Terrible. Two points, I think they've got out of four games. Crazy. For a, a couple of their stature, the fact that they got to the Europa League final last year, I'm shook of. Yes, they did have quite a difficult group. I will say that. <laughs> Very difficult group. Well, actually, no. I'm being too fair. I'm being too fair on Inter Milan there. Real Madrid are the hardest team they can loop. They shouldn't be losing to uh, Mutual Gladbach and they shouldn't be losing to Shakhtar Donetsk. So, I'm sorry. I'll take that back, Inter. You're trash. If anyone deserves a tough group, it's Inter. Like, they're a good side. They should be playing the hard games. But they should be They should be getting out of that group. Exactly. That is the truth. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's hard or not. They, they should make it through. Now, Juventus won me £30. Thank you very much. On the 91st minute. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Juventus. Juventus and Barcelona are going through their group by lots of things. City have qualified. Uh, Chelsea have qualified, which is good for the English representatives because I don't know why, but the European um, opinion of English teams in the Champions League is essentially, if we don't do well, we should have one of our spots taken away. I'm like, no. What do you mean? No. We're not having a bloody Champions League spot taken away, you bloody idiots. It's because they, you know, someone else wants one effectively somewhere yeah. else or whatever it may be. But that always, if we have a bad season or we get just all to get to the round of 16 or, you know, we barely get scraped out the group, everyone's calling for us to lose a spot, lose a qualification spot. Piss off. Sorry. No. The reason why we're in it so much is because it's the Premier League's best bloody team in the world. And we've got so many fans. If you lose a Premier League spot, you will lose viewership somewhere along the, yeah. you know, the chain of command, wherever it may be. The only other thing, an update on United's progress in the old uh, Champions League, is they did win. They are top of their group with nine points, three wins and a loss. Mathematically, we're not qualified. We only need one point out of the next two games. Unfortunately, the next two games are both very difficult games. <laughs> but PSG helped us. They beat Leipzig, which essentially balanced out the three-point differential. So, yeah, Champions League exciting. I'm actually preferring, I don't know about you, Ian, or maybe obviously because your team's in Europa, it's, you haven't thought about it as much this season, but effectively, I'm preferring having like, let's just do all six straight away with like a two-week break, get the group stage done, and we'll come back to this in February. I'm much preferring that. Rather than this, we play one week, two weeks later, we play one week, two weeks later, because... Yeah, you're going to have fatigued players, but if anything, it should say, listen, everyone should have squad depth if they're going into Champions League. If, you, if you're coming into the Champions League and you don't have squad depth, then you're probably being either overly ambitious or you're not building your teams appropriately because wouldn't you rather... I think this format will allow for a Premier League winter break to, to essentially come in at some point. But if we keep having this every two week congestion and we have to play Premier League games over Christmas, it's never going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, and purely from a viewer's point of view, the consistency is nice. You know when your games are coming. You know that they've got to be played in this window. You know, you're not looking forward to like one week. You're like, oh, no, wait, we've got a Champions League game or a Europa League game. We need to squeeze it in. You're like, oh, that's going to wreck this that's coming up. We know it's all in that period. Mm. Everything feels a bit more planned. And if there's an injury in that period, it's fixable. And like you're saying, you've got the squad depth to work on that. I, yeah, I much prefer it. And 
I hope it'll be if anything, I think negating the squad depth or fitness issue is the fact that I think maybe the Champions League, maybe just for the group stages, should allow the five subs rule to continue. Yeah. Because obviously we still have the five subs rule in the Champions League, which is fine and dandy, but that does help with the squad depth problem, right? And maybe just go, right, just for the group stages, everyone can have five subs. But then after that, once we get to knockout, we go back to the traditional format of three subs. Just, you know, I've seen a lot of managers, I don't know about you, but I've seen Klopp, I've seen Oli, I've seen Guardiola, they're all complaining about fixture congestion. We've got too many games. It's like, if you want to play at the top level, if you want to win it all, you've got to play those games. I'm sorry. I mean, I've probably said it multiple times, but it was that week or two weeks where Tottenham literally had back-to-back games and no one said a fucking peep. We didn't say anything. We just played every game. We were tired and we just kept going. You won all. You won them all. Exactly. And I tell you what, it allows, yes, it hinders fitness, but it it, it, it increases match sharpness. So it's kind yeah. of like a double-edged sword. For sure. it, yeah. it has an advantage and a disadvantage. I don't know. I just think this excuse has been put out a lot. And I think, I think, yeah, I think Klopp's putting the primer down for if there is a hiccup at Liverpool, he can go, oh, we had too many games, too many games, too many games. And too many. But like you're saying, you're a top tier side. You should be able to play this. You should have the squad depth to fulfill it. I know this year is slightly different with COVID and that impacting, which we saw earlier on. But at this point, we should be able to handle these things. And you as a top tier club shouldn't be, concerned about the amount of games you got you should be able to play them and should know how to rotate your team to fulfill that i know and just as a final comment before we move on to the brace showcase liverpool fans sometimes perplex me it's like virgil in their eyes virgil van dyke is the only player to have ever been injured in the history of football <laughs> everyone on social media they're like oh van dyke i think van dyke's wages should be paid i think you know what happened was an affront i think cops said something about it. i was like players get injured what are you talking about yeah and yeah it it does happen sometimes at unfortunate times and you do reap the repercussions of that whatever it happens we've all had it i remember united were flying last season rashford was tearing up the premier league and he got that bloody back injury and was out for three months it happens yeah sorry harry kane was like firing on all cylinders three seasons ago got injured got injured injured for two seasons on and off Mm. and now he's finally back to form it happens and Kane might look at his career and go damn it I could have scored vital goals which would have led to the the Premier League record total there you know it's it happens to everyone you can't no footballer goes their entire career without injury that's absolute rubbish and I don't like this victim game of oh god Van Dijk's so so I think weren't Liverpool trying to ask because the FA insisted that Joe Gomez go on international duty because he didn't want to or something, and he got injured, the FA want his wage. Uh, Liverpool want his wages paid by the FA. No, what are you talking about? You're not. You're not a special case because you've yeah. been in the Premier League once. This is the problem, and this is why people are starting. I don't know if you've noticed, but public opinion about Liverpool fans is starting to change a little bit, and it's starting to go to how United fans used to be about eight, ten years ago. Yeah. People don't like Liverpool fans because they don't bloody shut up about anything. They're like, oh, injury. Oh, last night in Champions League. Oh, well, it doesn't matter because uh, we've won Champions League two seasons ago. It's like, Look, be humble. You won the league because you were the best team in the league last year. You won the Champions League because you were the best team in Europe the year before. You might not be the best team this year. We don't know yet. Mm. But you're not entitled to win anything. That's the important thing. 
No one is. You have to earn your trophies. And don't start coming at us Liverpool fans with like, oh, we're the best team. We've got the most trophies in bus. We deserve... You don't deserve anything. You've got to earn it. Yeah. It's a long, hard road. And we all had players that have had COVID out. Tellers had COVID twice. Pogba's had COVID. Salah's had COVID. Marnie's had COVID. It happens. I'm sorry. It's going to happen to every team in the top flight. Every team's going to have injuries. And it just pisses me off when teams think they're a special case because no one is. That's my final say on that. So let's move on. Okay. Great showcase number 10. The Domino Effect. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Hard showcase to do this one was just because he's so young. Gotcha. And he hasn't had a very long career. So this one will be a little bit of run of the miller, but we will talk about why I like him, why you like him, that sort of thing as well. Some personal anecdotes. He has a, a, a couple of uh, quirky ones. So, Mr. Calvert-Lewin, I, if I close my eyes and I listen to his post-match, which sometimes I do, and I did, he's like the good-looking Michael Owen. If you heard this man speak, Ian, he sounds exactly like Michael Owen. Oh, we love a Michael Owen. But the thing is, he's actually charismatic, unlike (laughs) But he sounds exactly like Michael Owen. It is freaky as hell. You Honestly, I tell you, I challenge you, after this podcast, go and watch the post-match of Dominic Cabot. Close your eyes. It will be Michael Owen. (laughs) So, he's a Sheffield-born lad. We've had a, you know, we've been discussing Sheffield-born fans and that sort of Carl Walker in recent weeks. And he is a Sheffield United fan. He's 23 years old. He was born on the 16th of March, 1997. So, Ian, he makes me feel old as hell. And you. Yeah, man. Uh, he's six foot two. Uh, he's played as a striker, but interestingly, similar to Harry Kane, but a little bit further back the pitch. In his youth career, he actually played as a box-to-box midfielder, which I struggled to see just because of his body type. Because he's so tall, I could, maybe I could have seen him as a CDM, but... I don't see him as a box-to-box midfielder. I think you have to be a little bit smaller to be a box-to-box midfielder. Do you know what I mean? Like about 5'10", maybe 5'11", 6'2". He's a little bit gangly, but maybe I could see. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too critical. Anyway, his youth career started at Sheffield United in 2005. And he spent nine years in their academy. He was never particularly prolific for them at a youth level. I won't lie to you. He had a couple of interesting things in the sense of he followed maybe what is the traditional archetype to go from down the pyramid to up the pyramid. So he actually had a scholarship instead of a youth contract, which essentially meant it was on the job learning, which was odd for football. But I think it was a way for them to not pay him and still have him play, which I understand because footballers are expensive and, you save money when you can, but I'm sure that wasn't very nice for him when he was younger. He went down the pyramid. So he went to, and sorry if I absolutely butcher this because I've never heard of this team in my life. At the Conference North, he went to Stally Bridge Celtic in 2014, which was second year of university for me. Which again, makes me feel old as hell. Uh, that's when we first met. How about that? That is. It was meant to be. Yeah. The domino effect in full swing. <laughs> now, during his time at Stalybridge, Bridge, he made five appearances and scored six goals. That's pretty good. Mm. And he made his move 
to striker when he moved there, I believe. After that, he went up to League Two, so he, because he did well at, in the Conference North. He went up to League Two and he went to Northampton Town. He was there for half a season, but he did get injured, so he had to come back. But in 20 appearances, he scored five goals. That was his lone youth career. The real prospect of him at youth level wasn't necessarily highlighted on his pyramid pilgrimage. It was more about his international youth level. Now, we've not really touched on a successful youth career at international level, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin did have one. He played for England under-20s between 2016 to 2017, and he made 14 appearances and scored six goals. He also played for England under-21s and made 17 appearances and scored seven goals. And he has made five appearances for England now and has scored two goals. It's not bad. He's still at the start of his career. But he has done something that few Englishmen have done, even if it's not the creme de la creme officiel one. He has won the under-20 World Cup. So, I mean, you hold that trophy with pride no matter what. Exactly. It's an under-21, but it it doesn't matter. It was hosted in South Korea. He scored two goals in the tournament. His first was the first goal of the tournament for England, scored in a match against Argentina. And the last was the winning goal in the final as they beat Venezuela. Yeah, that's how you do it. Just book in exactly. the whole thing. Impressive. Exactly. He joined Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters as the only England players to score in a World Cup final. What company to keep? Obviously, they won the actual World Cup or the a Senior World Cup. Yeah. But nevertheless about mentality i think it's so important you can learn so much from winning trophies at a youth level and i think obviously calvert lewin will benefit from that incredibly because everton are a team which will suffer from mentality issues and i think they have in the last couple of weeks i think the bright spark in everton has been him if you take his goals out the equation i don't know where they'd be and they'd probably be like 10th So, you know, you can't undervalue what this young lad is contributing to the Everton side. So, I have written a talking point here, which is too goodison to resist. Sorry, (laughs) that that is a good one, and I'm 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 taking it. I'm bloody taking it. So he went back to Sheffield United. He was actually there while Chris Wilder was there, who is now obviously still currently Sheffield United manager in the Premier League. He didn't rate Calvert Lewin, so it was time to see him out the door. So they sold them to, he was sold to Everton for 1.5 million. And Dominic Calvert Lewin said he reflected later on the move that this is just simply too good to resist. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't wrong. He has made, I tell you what, he has made a lot of appearances for them, Ian. <laughs> a lot. I didn't realize how many appearances he'd made for Everton. Since 2016, he has made 123 appearances and scored 34 wow. goals. That's a lot for a player at 23. I know. And the thing is, I don't remember him ever catching my eye. I know it's going to sound bad because we've sort of raved about him the last couple of weeks, but never did he ever stand out to me. No, I mean, talking about sort of personal things, the only reason I came to know Calvert-Lewin is because I chucked him in one of my FIFA squads. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, oh, he's a cheap, and he played well, and he was great for my squad. And I was like, fantastic. And then I started seeing his name pop up all over the place. I was like, wait, is that the same guy? Lo and behold, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm very much the same. Literally wasn't on my radar. I mean, look, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk to you about some numbers. His numbers are not great for Everton in terms of what he's done. 
he has scored 34 Premier League goals, which is not bad. But in his first season for Everton in 2016, he made 11 appearances and scored one goal. That's not terrible. In 2017-2018, he made 32 appearances, 14 of them as a substitute, and he only scored four goals. Those are not good numbers. Those are bad numbers. In 2018-2019, he made 35 appearances, 16 as a substitute, and only scored six goals. Now, obviously, we're seeing an incremental improvement. Sure. But it's not great. It's not good numbers. 2019, 2020, obviously this is when Ancelotti came in and the numbers do improve. It happens. Not dramatically in the first season. 2019, 2020, 36 appearances, six as a substitute and 13 goals. So he finally hit Premier League double digits. But this season is the one where he's really wowed the world. And again, remember we've spoken about in the past footballing peaks, he's nowhere near his predicted peak. He's probably about four years away from it. Now, this season, he's made nine appearances, scored 10 goals, and is the Premier League's top goal scorer. The dream start. Now, I've put on the talking points, in under Carlos's care. I don't want to discredit Calvert-Lewin too much because, obviously, he has a natural ability that has flourished under good leadership. But, obviously, Ancelotti is vital in the improvement of his game, in my opinion. Since Ancelotti's come in, not only has he scored more, he's become a more well-rounded player, and he's got more assists. He's had personal accolades. And he's been the beating heart of the Everton line. I mean, he was the first player of the month for this season. He won September's player of the month for scoring five goals in one month, which is absolutely mental. Yeah. And he's, I mean, I was just going to say, considering all that on the shoulders of a 22, 23-year-old lad is is impressive. Like, you know, we're saying they're small numbers, but he's clearly finding his comfortability in front of goal and his comfortability on the pitch as well. Which oh, is only yeah, yeah. Which time and age. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, he's just going to escalate from there, really. Listen, this is this is early doors on his career. And yeah, while I was critical of his numbers, you know, Marco Silva's setup at Everton might not have benefited him. He might not have been given the belief which Ancelotti has in him. But clearly, Carlos Ancelotti does believe there is something there. And I think, you know, he's right. I think he's proven that he's right. Because effectively, 10 goals in your first nine, nine games is class. Not only is it good, it's bloody class. Those are Harry Kane a couple of years ago numbers. Those are Mohamed Salah numbers. We could be talking about Calvert-Lewin winning Golden Boot. We don't know yet. You know, if they have a... He always pops up with a goal, even against big teams. It's not like he only scores against small clubs like Fulham. He scored the winner against you guys. Sorry, Ian. He scored an equaliser against Liverpool. He's a big... He's not intimidated by a big game. I'm not saying he's a big game player, but he can turn up in big games. And, you know, prospects of English talent is good. I'm glad. Because, you know, you've got to... This is going to sound really bad, viewers or listeners, but sometimes you have to view footballing as a production line, right? And you have to put expiry dates on things. Harry Kane will have his expiry date. He's our, our starting striker in every game, and he's proven why he should be. However... He will retire. And when he retires, you'd be like, well, hang on. Now that Kane's retired at, let's say, hypothetically 32, and he's 27, so there's, what, four, uh, four years between them or three years between them? Well, hang on. We've got a imp- uh, prime Dominic Calvert-Lewin who can start to lead the line for us now. That, that's You just love to see it coming through. You, and also, you love to see it coming through from a youth level and from a domestic level. And that's really all I have to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, he's an impressive young player, and it's. I'm surprised at how young he was. I thought he was older than that. 
and clearly like his career can really only go from here and I want to see it move because as a as you say as an England fan it's great to see look it's and great Ever- to have depth on the bench right to have a player who can come on and change the game if Kane's fatigued if Kane can't do it one game on comes Dominic Calvert-Lewin that's what we want to see Dude, and I'm all for Kane having a rest yeah, well, see, inevitably, I think obviously Kane's eyeing up England's goal scoring record, isn't he? So, yeah. once he gets that, he'll slowly drift away from international duty and focus on domestic goals. But he, you know, Kane likes being a, an English icon of football, and sure. rightfully so, he's earned his right to be there. And Calvert Lewin is laying down the gauntlet and saying, by the way, I'm a bloody good player and I've yeah. got good numbers. And I might not score absolute worldies, but I tell you what, I am very mechanical in my execution of clean-cut chances. Nine times out of ten, you'll go, well, hang on, he will score here because he's so clinical in terms of tap-ins. Yeah, so what if he's a tap-in merchant? If you want good numbers, you've got to be a tap-in merchant. Indeed, he is is the example of just being there. He's just there constantly. No matter what you're doing, he's there. He's on the back post, he's on the front post, he's in the box. He's sitting there waiting. He's ready for it. Listen, he's very marketable, by the way. If Mm. Listen to me, brands. If he starts putting in big numbers, sign him up, because he's a good-looking chap, he's English, and he scores loads of goals. Yeah. Get get him in. If Jesse Lingard can get JD Sports sponsorship, this this fella deserves it as well. And I wanted to put, this is just a side note, because they're they're um, they are sponsored Everton by Kazoo. I wanted to some sort, of, I wanted some sort of banjo kazooie pun, but I was just like that is going to be lost on the viewers. <laughs> it was there, it was there, you know. Like, if, you, if you can find it for our exit, I'll allow it. But yeah, uh, banjo kazooie, no idea. But nevertheless, listen, Dominic Calvert Lewin is a great player. He's in yeah. the early doors on his career. I'm excited, very excited to see where it goes. I think we have a contender. If he can maintain it, if Everton can maintain form, you've got a contender for either a very outrageously high-scoring season this season or at least a race for the golden boot or even the golden boot. We don't know. Wouldn't that be absolutely mental? I think there there does seem to be this bar when... Well, yeah, it seems to be whoever wins the league doesn't win the golden boot, which I think is mental, but it just that just seems to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. But then again, at the end of the day, you know, the teams that win the league is due to squad depth and the players' relation. and the fact that, yeah, yeah. yeah everyone I, being I, up there rather than the single man trying to win it all. So, yeah. we'll, so we'll see. Right, Ian. Now is time to see who won this week. Indeed. I think it was a bad week for both of us. I won't lie to you. I, yeah, I mean... Well, the scores were shocking. I think we we bet on all the wrong horses. Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready never. for results? I'm never ready for this segment. I always look at the results thinking I've done well, and I'm like, I said absolute crap last time. I know I did. Okay, listeners, by the way, I beat it in the Fantasy League again this week. Surprise, surprise. Only, oh, it was very close. It was very close. Very close. I've done some swap-ups, some new players on the team. Hopefully next week will be mine. Okay, and I've got some good news for you. You've got a correct result. That has not happened. You said Chelsea 2, Newcastle 0, and that was the score. So that's three points for you. I said that. You did. (laughs) I I also said uh, 4-1. So, yeah, I was wrong, but I I, I got the point. So that's what matters. If Werner could convert, it probably would have been. Yes. Now, the next game was Villa-Brighton. We both backed Villa, and we both have egg on our face. So let's get that out of here immediately. Burnley Palace, you said a draw, Ian. 
1-1. I said 2-1 Burnley. Let's bloody go. Yeah, so it's it's 3-2 at the moment. Will this be Ian's comeback? I am annoyed at Fulham because I said (laughs) 3-1. And for a long time, that is what the score was. Three bloody two. But still, nevertheless, I get the point. What did I say then? You said 4-1 because you tried to price right me. So it's 4-3 to you. Now, Ian, we both got the Liverpool result wrong. I said Liverpool would lose, and I was wrong. Yeah. And you said they would draw, and you were wrong. Manchester United, West Brom, <laughs> back to United, and they bloody won a game. So the curse has lifted it. Let's bloody go. You said 2-1, I said 3-0. So we both just get a point. Easy stuff. 5-4 to you. Southampton Wolves. You said 3-0 Southampton, a very controversial prediction. That was wrong. I I said a draw, 2-2. So it's 5-5, baby. Oh, here we go. Now, we both backed Spurs to win, as I said earlier in the podcast. And you you went mad. You put like five goals. No, I didn't. I put 2-1. Oh, there was another game where you... No, nah, that was West Brom. No, I thought oh, you just yeah, yeah. him up and you didn't. You put 3-1. We both got the uh, the deficit right. We just didn't get yeah. the clean sheet right. So, that's but a point each. That's we six. We predicted Man City goal, even if it was disallowed. We, still we did, we did. Yeah, that is true. Now, Ian, you said West Ham would win 2-0. I know, that's 7-6 to you. And I said 1-1. The decider, Ian, I believe. I believe this is the decider. It's seven six, all to play for. Leeds Arsenal. You went two one Leeds. See you're wrong. So if I got this right, it's a draw. <laughs> I said three three. <laughs> <laughs> so I get the point. That's the point at least. So this week it ends seven all. Jeez, there Which we go. I was thinking about the draw system. I effectively guess we'll just add one point each. Is that what you want to do? So it's it's um, seven one to me. So it will be eight two. Sure, let's just do that. And viewers, I'm glad he said that because I would eight to be Ian right now. Oh, don't even <laughs> retract that state. I retract my statement so that you retract yours. <laughs> End, it. End it. Oh my god, earphones. Jeez. Sorry, sorry, earphone listeners, but I just couldn't resist. I got carried away in the moment. Now, I've still got a lot of deficits to play with there. You've got a get, lot. At the moment, if we get to game week 32, I've won. Now, luckily, Ian and I didn't pre-agree something beforehand, which essentially would mean, you know, usually what Ian and I used to do in the fantasy league is whoever won it, we'd buy someone £15 worth or something, whatever yeah. it would be. But we didn't do that on this, and I'm, I'm a fool. Because no, well, I, mean, I would be quids in. You would be quids in, but we, we are being kinder to each other these years now that time's Yeah, we are. Less, <laughs> less ruthless nowadays. <laughs> I'm all about being altruistic. Okay, so Ian, we're going to predict now. Right, let's do it. coming weekend. Now, oh, viewers, before, uh, listeners, before we do that, how bloody lovely, Ian, is it that all games are free again? It's wonderful. Why did they ever do that? £15 rubbish. No one was ever going to pay it. And look where we're back now. We all predicted that they would capitulate on it. And they have. And I was like, oh my God, BBC. I can watch all the games. I just lay around in my boxes when I'm not playing the PS5. Just watch the football and enjoy my life. This is what it should be about. Times of crisis and a pandemic should be about this. Not about 
sponsors and broadcasters and clubs trying to make yeah yeah it's disgusting for me it's disgusting now head to heads baby let's go i've had a little wobble this week but i'm 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 back firing on all cylinders so ian i will i will predict first crystal palace versus newcastle hard game tough game i'm gonna go with a 2-2 draw what are you saying ian Awesome. Um, 1-0 Newcastle. Oh, my God. Backing Glenn's team. Oh, I saw um, Shearer's message to Glenn. On oh, you saw it? That was impressive. It was very nice. Is it? Was it done through that cameo thing, was it? I believe so. But, yeah, that is uh, Shearer is who got Glenn into football. It's the man he's loved ever since day one. That's so. just dope. Uh, listen, it's for context. Ian's brother had a birthday, and, and um, someone, I don't know who, sorted out a message from Alan Shearer just saying well done for raising money for charity and you're a cyclist and I'm Alan Shearer and hello and happy birthday. In yeah, there was a lot of, was a lot of like Alan up. Shearer. Yeah, because my <laughs> mum was sat there like, who is this person? I'm like, mum, it's Alan Shearer. It's Alan Shearer. Like, oh, no, <laughs> she doesn't know who Alan Shearer is. What the oh, hell? she does. She didn't know him by re- looking at him, though. <laughs> right, okay. She knows. Yeah, well, that's because Lineker was always there until he shit himself on the pitch, the, the sexy one. Okay, Ian, Brighton-Liverpool, what are you saying? Will this be a hiccup or will the, the champions march on? I'm going to say champions march on. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough because we know what Brighton are like, but Brighton are so unlucky. 3-1, Liverpool. 3 one. Yeah, I could say 3-1. I will go for a draw. I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. It's a ballsy move. Yeah, well, with my deficit, I'm just feeling a little bit fruity, really. That's all I can say. Manchester City. Now, this is one where we, you know, it's now becoming difficult to predict, really, especially when they're going to turn up to the the shit house merchants, which are Burnley. Yeah. This could be a tough game to see, but I think they will win. I think it's going to be two nil C. Yeah, Burnley. They're not ones to score, so I can see the two. Oh, but I've got to, got to pick something different to two nil. That's right. Three uh, nil. Let's just go three 0 you prices right of me, you mother trucker. Okay, next game up, Everton leads. What are you saying, Ian? That's a hard game. That is a really hard game. Yeah, is it? Is it going to be absolutely crazy high scoring? Because clearly neither team cares about defence. Or is it just going to stalemate one another? You know, it's fire and ice. It could it could be gung ho. I, I would I would I would lean more to gung ho, I think. Yeah. How gung ho uh, three two uh Everton. I think Everton are gonna get another three points on the bounce. You're crazy. Sure, sure. I'm gonna go two one Everton. I don't know why. That just I know you criticize me in my yeah, well, I'm the sort of person that always says, oh, I wouldn't do that, and then I go and do it. <laughs> so, you know, that's just that's just the way yeah, I've always nice been. Okay, West Brom, Sheffield, really boring game. Don't care about it. Both teams need the, the three points. I'm going to say West Brom win 1-0. I'm going to say Sheffield 1-0, just because I want to say it. Horizon. That's what, the, that's what the listeners like to hear, you know, us being contentious and having different opinions. Now, here we go, Ian. Here we bloody go. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Southampton versus Manchester Manchester United. Oh, mate. I think it's going to be... I'm going to say 2-0. Yeah, I could see that. 
Uh, I'm going to go three one United because not that I believe that will be the score, but you, you got to back him now, Ian. This is the one you don't want to do, and I'm going first, so I've saved you. Chelsea versus Spurs at Stamford Bridge. I'm going two one Spurs. I think you're going to win. I have to believe we, we're going to win. I have to now. I'm, I'm, I'm on that hype. I'm going to stick with 2-0. 2-0 Spurs. That would be a really good result. That would be, um, well, I'm mm. underplaying that. That would be an incredible result at Stanford Bridge. Yeah. I just think if we can close them out, that's it. Job done. Because as we've seen, they love to fluff an opportunity. In, so if you, the problem is, Chelsea have this real spirit and fight back in them now because they've had to do it so many times this season. Yeah. So just one one nil isn't really going to guarantee anything. Yeah. I think it's a question of you're really going to have to... You're really going to have to make sure you get the second goal and get it sooner rather than later. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't say it earlier, but my heart dropped when Son scored within the first five minutes. Yeah, that's, that's England mentality, mate. Whenever yeah, England yeah. Sca- score early, they always do poorly. Look, Trippier scored against Croatia in the first five minutes of the World Cup semi-final, and then we're out. We're just bottle jobs inherently. Hard-wired in, yeah. Okay, so Arsenal-Wolves could be a good game. I Wolves. think it's going to be a draw. I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. I'm going to go 1-0 Wolves. Oh, my God. That would be really bad for Arsenal. <laughs> that would be a terrible result for Arsenal. And I'd love I'll, to say, I'll be having a party if we beat Chelsea and then they lose. Inject it into my veins. Now, Leicester needs to bounce back. They're playing the team to bounce back against. It's Fulham. What are you saying? I'd love to see Fulham do well, but it ain't happening. It's just not their season. I'm going to go 2-1, but Fulham score a penalty. 2-1, all right. So you want me to, okay, put a pen. Yeah, you can put that in brackets. Pen. There you go. Ian's been very confident. This, I remember his renegade palace prediction that never came to pass a couple of weeks back, but, you know. Yeah, they listeners want drama. Let's do this. Come on. Uh, 4-1 Leicester. Ooh. I think Leicester are going to absolutely hammer them. I think, yeah, you know, I think the people aren't factoring in that Rodgers used to manage Liverpool probably played a probably played a factor. Now this is a bloody good game. West Ham Villa. This is bloody hard. This is so hard to predict. Indeed. I'm going two one Villa because I think on paper West Ham should win because they're at home, they're on okay form, they're grinding out results and Villa have just lost, but I think Villa will bounce back. Mm. I'm gonna go four two Villa. Jesus Christ. Ollie Watkins hat trick again. Maybe. Maybe. Right, and that's it. We're done. Absolute delightful scenes. Viewers, I actually, we say this every week, and they usually come in about the same time, but that one was quite long, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, certain, but I, I think it was. Well, it depends um, how rambling the sign-off is. Like, come on, let's get through it. Uh, to be honest, we've been pretty punchy with our sign-offs yeah, nowadays. Okay. We, get, we get them out and we get, we get them gone. We get your ears in, we get them gone, listeners. So thank you for listening. Anyone who's reached this part of the podcast, really appreciate you uh, and your support. It was a very bog-standard weekend of Premier League football, but always plenty to talk about. I've been Harley. He's been Ian. He's top of the league. I'm not. Sad times, good times for him. And on that note, we'll catch you next time. Much love and peace.